Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And what's up, Gamecock Nation? Wes Mitchell here, GC Live. Welcome in Thursday episode of the show. Again, I'm Wes Mitchell, joined here very shortly by Chris Clark, having a couple of technical difficulties, but he'll be on here hopefully uh, in a second. Again, uh, Thursday episode of the show, a lot of stuff planned for you. This show is, as always, brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond of the Mortgages Network. Uh, Clint, a uh, just excellent all-around guy and excellent at what he does. You can get in touch with him at 803-771-6933, or you can head on over to clinthammond.com for more information. Those of you who are on the video version of the show, you can see Clint's info right there. His NMLS number is 71597. C Hammond at mortgagenetwork.com. That's the letter C Hammond at mortgagenetwork.com is uh, how you can reach out to Clint via email. Like we always tell you, if you're in the market for a new home or uh, maybe want to see what options you have out there to refinance, then um, Clint's your guy. So, uh, so check it out. What's up to everybody? Already in the chat, a lively bunch. Um, like our buddy Greg said, everybody hit the like button if you're on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, I guess there's probably not one on Twitter, but whatever you're on, smash the smash the like button, as Ty says. And um, supposedly that helps the algorithm. I don't, I don't know what the algorithm is, but that uh, helps us helps us uh, get pushed on that news feed or whatever for YouTube. So. Um, <laughs> J-Rock wants to know where the snacks are. Hey, guys, we're back on – this is not an NIL deal. This is a completely free promotion. And Chris isn't here, so I can't go off camera and snack. But the snack today, we're back on the trail mix from uh, – I don't, I don't remember where these are from. But, um, yeah, trail mix or grapes are the usual snack here for me on GC Live. And, uh, again, Chris – will be along shortly. Hopefully his, uh, apparently his computer just completely crapped out on him right before we went on the show. Uh, later on today, we're going to be joined by Jeff Drummond. He is a, uh, he's the managing editor of catsillustrated.com. Does an excellent job of covering Kentucky and someone that uh, will, will be on basically to, uh, you know, give, give you that Kentucky perspective. Every week we try to give you somebody to give you a little bit of a different uh, window into this game from the other side. So Jeff will be on to do that. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it, I um, also finished my sort of in-depth scouting report of Kentucky and posted it on Gamecock Central. That is a subscriber feature. But uh, that's one thing I'm trying to do a little bit more of this uh, this year, this season, is to provide – you know, we did it a little bit um, – obviously in, in the past, but I'm trying to give even more in-depth looks at South Carolina's opponent on Gamecock Central. So that there's an in-depth scouting report, got some uh, some plays on there as well that you can watch that sort of illustrate what we're talking about when we go into Kentucky. But, you know, I feel like I kind of at this point in the week have a pretty good idea of this Kentucky team, how this matchup could play out, and as we bring Chris Clark in, hopefully there he is. Um, I, I think it's a, a fourth quarter game. I also, the, the more I watch, the more I also think um, 
And Chris, I'll get your take on this. Uh, well, I'm about to get if he's on here, we're going to get uh, fussed at again by somebody who said we just hype up every opponent. But th- the more I watch this Kentucky team, Chris, uh, the more I think there are some difficult matchup aspects to this game. Like I, uh, I think it's a fourth quarter game. Ultimately, it's going to be one of those games that. You know, if if you turn the ball over more than the other team, it's good. It's going to be close enough, I think, that that that'll be one of the big differences in the game. But I also sort of look at games as like if everything else is equal, um, like we talk about, if they, if they play ten times, how many times does does one team win the game? Is is it a true like five and five type game, or if there were like no turnovers on either side, no weird plays, no weird bounces on a neutral site? Who would win the football game? And right now with Kentucky in, what are they, like year 10? Um, like, they, you know, they, they've, they've, they're deep into the Stoops era here. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how long Stoops has been there. I'm just saying he's been there a long time. So you're in year one of, of Beamer trying to build this thing up. So I, I do think at this point on a neutral site, Kentucky does have an advantage in this football game, the more I have watched. If you're South Carolina, you got to hope that this capacity crowd, it's very close to being a sellout. I think it will sell out by Saturday. Uh, a, a fan base that is pumped, a fan base that is going to be into this game, and a Kentucky team that hasn't really played a true road game you know, in, in two years, since 2019. You've got to hope that that's a factor in this game because I I do think there are some things about this Kentucky team that they that they do a lot of things really well. They do, they do. It's a I think it's a concerning matchup for South Carolina, and, and more so than remember in week two, Wes, we talked about how East Carolina was a concerning matchup for South Carolina. Um, not that we were. That, that's going to be a running joke, I think, the rest of the year, talking up everybody. But, look, we thought that ECU could present some problems to South Carolina because there were so many questions with the Gamecocks. It was hard to get a true read on the Gamecocks because of the level of competition they played in week one. And you saw some things from ECU that made you think and, and really know that they had some capabilities to cause some problems. Well, as it turned out, they caused a lot of problems for South Carolina. Like I said yesterday, they had to go down and kick a field goal at the end of the game to end up winning that contest. They had to come from behind. Good job winning, but they caused some issues, right? You look at Kentucky and you worry more because they're they're bigger, faster, more physical in defense than, than East Carolina was. South Carolina still has not cleaned up some of the offensive issues that are going to hinder them no matter the level of competition. You know, procedural stuff, missed assignments, communication. Those are going to hit you. And, and hurt you against anyone when the competition's really good, Georgia, pretty good, ECU, good, Kentucky, you know, those things are going to show up. I think the biggest difference, and this is what you pointed out, Wes, on the show today and on Gamecock Central is offensively for Kentucky. You know, the fact that they have Wandale Robinson, the fact that they have a new offensive coordinator who's done a good job, put in a good system, and the fact that they have a quarterback who, you know, can cause a lot of issues. Th- those things are really concerning. I was trying to think about it this way because I, I really like that example that you use of, hey, if they play 10 times, who's favored and how many times, or is it dead even five five and five? I tend to think, and, and maybe this is reflective of what the line is, on paper, on paper, but you don't play the games on paper, you know, Kentucky I think is maybe, I told somebody this earlier, six out of ten. You know, seven out of ten, maybe. Um, you know, and then you can throw in okay, neutral field or in Columbia and Lexington, whatever. But I think it, it's fairly close. But look, a lot of this talk is on paper stuff, you know, and, and based on what you've seen from each team, they're con- they're concerning things. Now, can South Carolina? I think if they put together a good offensive game plan, Luke Doty plays well. Luke Doty's legs are, are a factor. They can win this game, but it's certainly understandable based on what we've seen from Kentucky, you know, why they're favored in this game. Yeah, I like to look at it, uh, the 10 games plus no turnovers. Because I I think turnovers just, yes, are they part of the game? Like, do you have to include them? Yes. Uh, Are some teams 
good at creating turnovers to an extent. Yes, but also if you go back far enough, if you look at enough game, a big enough sample size, turnovers can also be somewhat random. So I like to say neutral site, turnovers equal. If they played ten times, how you know how many times would uh, would each would one team beat the other? Um, uh, I see uh, the uh, the Mac podcast saying that South Carolina has more talent than Kentucky. I, I don't know that we can definitively say that, y'all. Like I I really um, I don't know if I would say that. I, I think position, oh, yeah, position by position. Um, you know, there's. It's probably comparable, maybe across the board, as far as like being in the same conversation. I I don't know if Chris either team is going to have that like distinct uh, sort of Georgia versus South Carolina advantage, you know. But but let let's let's give some credit to what Kentucky has has put together there. I mean, this is this to me, this is a big physical offensive line. Now Kentucky's offense kind of reminds me a bit of what we've seen from from South Carolina um, just in the last even the last few years um, we've seen it from South Carolina this year to an extent to me they are very kind of hit or miss like they are it's either a big running play or you know stop for for no gain I, I think um, our boy SEC stat cat said that it was either last week or it was against Missouri that Kentucky um, was literally just as likely to have a negative, like to be hit in the backfield as they were to have an explosive play. But, but they had, they had several explosive plays out of the running game. So they, uh, you know, they can do a, they can hit you with those big plays. And it's the same thing in the passing game. Um, Will Levis has really put them in a position to stretch the field vertically. And I think this is a game when I, I look at it and I say, Kentucky, if they're getting in these second and fives, third and twos, and, and this is one of those like you can apply it to any football game, but but their offense, uh, that, that's what it's built around is them being able to to get the running game going, and then they're going to hit you with these true play action passes, not not the like college spread shotgun play action RPO. I'm talking about true old school where the quarterback turns his back, um, looks like he's going to hand the football off, does it like a deep play action fake, and then tries to hit you down the field. So um, they, they do some just different things on offense. It's very similar to Sean McVay, the Rams offense, which is where um, Liam Cohen, their new offense coordinator, was at for three years. So it, it's easy to see why. But I, uh, you know, I, I look and to me, it's an offense that can can bog down at, at times, but also can be very explosive at times. And you, you don't know which end you're going to get. And if you're South Carolina, you also can't panic because they they can hit you for three, you know, two or three touchdowns in a row. Then also they can uh, they can start bogging down and give you a chance to get back in the game, which is what happened with Kentucky against Missouri, and what happened for a large portion of the game against Chattanooga. Yeah, and look, I, I want to go back to a point that you made earlier because I, I had to look up some stuff about Mark Stoops and, and the job he's done there. In year nine, right, this was pointed out to me by somebody in, in the college football game, and I didn't realize it. I knew there were some early struggles in the Stoops tenure. A lot of people point to Mark Stoops' tenure as, in, at Kentucky as kind of, this is the reason that you stick with a guy who's in a tough situation, a tough job with what he inherited. Mark Stoops, Wes, through his first three years at Kentucky, had the same conference record as Joker Phillips. Joker Phillips lasted three seasons at Kentucky. They both won a total of four SEC games in those three years. And Mark Stoops actually had one less overall win than Joker Phillips. Uh, Joker Phillips had 13 overall wins in those three years and 12 for Mark Stoops. The difference, I think one key difference is this. Mark Stoops' first season, 2013, the Wildcats are 2-10, 0-8 in the conference, right? Then they went 5-7, 5-7. Not great. You know, they, I remember early in his tenure, there were a lot of people that were going, I, I don't know about this. At one clear difference was kind of, I guess, the trend where Joker Phillips, he went down each season. 6-7 and seven in 2010, 
that team that beat South Carolina, and then five and seven, and then two and ten and winless in, in conference in 2012, which was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back there. But since then, Mark Stoops has kind of turned thing around, things around, right? 2016, the first winning season, follows it with another. 2018, they win 10 games and win the Citrus Bowl, finish in the top 12. 2019, they were eight and five. You know, so you've made this point before, Wes. When you look around and you go, you look at, say, a defensive player and Kentucky's offered. In 2010, who cares? You know, now it's like, Oh, Kentucky offered, you know, like it, it's, it's a little bit more meaningful. And I think that speaks to what he's done there. Are they Georgia talented? Absolutely not. But this is a team now every year that South Carolina has to reckon with. And, and we've seen that in terms of the on field results, even when South Carolina has some teams that arguably should have won and didn't. Um, I, I think people are still maybe getting used to Kentucky probably need to get used to Kentucky as being a major factor on South Carolina's schedule every year, kind of like Tennessee has been, you know, every year. So I think he's done an outstanding job. And look, this is kind of that next step, bringing in some key transfers. We mentioned them, the quarterback, Wondell Robinson at receiver, Jacquez Jones at linebacker, and then the offensive system. And, And that makes it quite tough. And I think that's a key difference. If things if things were kind of the same as last season in terms of scheme and quarterback, you probably feel even a little bit better about South Carolina's chances here. Yeah, and I think um, Kentucky, you know, a lot a lot of the talk has been about their offense this year, and you know, I, I think their defense has you know defense gave up some big plays against Missouri, let Missouri back in that game. To me, the thing that stoops and their defensive staff has done a great job with is recruiting specifically to their scheme on defense. You know, I I think sometimes, uh, you know, expect, especially if you, if you kind of have had different types of, you've had a different coordinator here, a different coordinator there, you've changed your offense several times. um, Maybe you've changed your defensive scheme several times. It seems like if you're a defensive coach, Maybe there's there's greater change on the other side because you're you're sort of shuffling through OCs until you find one. If you're an offensive coach, you sort of are like I got this side of the ball. You're shuffling through defensive coordinators until you find one. Well, they may have different philosophies. They may need a different skill set up front. They may need a different skill set on the back end. To me, Kentucky, because Stoops has been there so long and because he does have a defensive uh, mind, it you're always regardless of the names on the back. You're always going to face a secondary that has length, that has tall dudes that can get their hands on passes, that can play the ball in the air. You're going to have sort of big defensive linemen because they're going to sort of base personnel-wise out of a three-man front. And you're going to get, most of the time, you're going to get quite a bit of zone defense. Like I, I feel like more than most teams, they're going to drop back into zone. Their fans probably get frustrated by it. But really good zone defense um, – if, if you have guys that are comfortable in it and know how to play it and know how to, you know, zone, zone defense, when we t- see teams play bad zone defense, it's absolutely awful because you're you're defending space um, and opponents just go where you aren't. Like literally, if you're, if you're guarding grass in a zone defense, then you're going to get destroyed. The really good zone defense is the ones that are really well coached it's sort of a it's a it's a matchup zone almost. You know what I mean? Like the guys are covering a zone, but they're going to get to the receivers when they get into their area. And to me, that's what Kentucky does a great job of, man. Is they just force you to go the length of the field. They force you to to not make mistakes, which we've seen South Carolina offensively. It's been big play most of the time or mistakes. Nice. So to me, that that that's a key to this game for South Carolina. Um, Kentucky, if Kentucky sits in that zone, can, can South Carolina go the eight, nine plays it takes to get down there and score? The other side of this, does Kentucky, which has struggled to get pressure uh, this year, other than maybe the kid, uh, the Pascal kid, number four, I think, defensive end. I think his first name is Josh. Um, the Pascal kid, um, he's been pretty good at getting pressure but they've struggled just getting pressure with four. 
So does Kentucky, Chris, knowing what South Carolina has struggled with, maybe kind of say we're going to bring a little more pressure. I look at Kentucky as we're going to sit in our zone, but we're going to be very deliberate about when we blitz. We're going to blitz when we think we know what you're doing by our scouting report and try to take it away in key moments, key third downs, stuff like that. So I think you have an interesting little cat and mouse game here um, where Marcus Satterfield, you know, let's be honest, the offense has been very up and down through three games. This is this is an opportunity for Marcus Satterfield to um, take a step forward against a more manageable talent level between the two teams and have a, a big night for South Carolina's offense. I think the absolute key is, and this is one of those keys, Wes, that we've been kind of making fun of it. We're on the ball, you know. But seriously, for this offense, it is critical. We've seen a few signs of the passing game getting going, um, not on a consistent basis, right? But they've shown some some spots where they've shown some explosion. Josh Van, namely, right? Jalen Brooks, you know, we know he has the capability. You know, can can they kind of become more consistent there and keep that going? Georgia, which of course, Wes, we've documented as a defensive outlier, right? There, South Carolina aside, South Carolina will not play a defense that good this year. Clemson's defense is very good. I still don't think they're Georgia, but they're very good. And there are other challenges. Very good defenses on the schedule, and I think Kentucky's a good defense, but. Georgia's kind of strategy all game, and I was talking to Nick Jones about this for our piece that we published last night. We broke down several of the plays from South Carolina's game against Georgia. Good, bad, you know, mostly not so good, but there were some good moments. And he pointed out that a lot of the game, Georgia felt confident that they could play their four guys up front, right, and either play three backers or play a nickel defense and keep a couple safeties high. Now, even though South Carolina, uh, you know, has not shown a great ability to throw the ball downfield this year, that's how they opted to play it. They basically said, we're going to take away your deep stuff, um, which South Carolina still found some success, but we're going to take away your deep stuff. We're going to play too high safety a decent amount of the time and try to run the ball against our front. And most of the time they didn't, right? So pretty good strategy on their part. So I think, Wes, it'll be very interesting to see how Kentucky approaches that. What are their thoughts? Are they going to play it similarly where, hey, our front's going to beat your front and then we can devote more guys to the back end? Or are they more aggressive like we saw, you know, ECU, even EIU, although they were out, man, very aggressive up front. So, and then if they are, can South Carolina make them pay in the passing game? Um, we pointed out, Nick and I broke down two specific plays, west from that Georgia game that we kind of broke them down of this is a three-yard game against a human defense <laughs> this is maybe a first down maybe better there are two specific ones do you remember the ones i'm talking about kevin harris takes a little outside run it was first and five he gained i think three yards georgia's safety came flying in from absolutely nowhere and made the play and if he didn't it's at least a first down luke Doty had a zone read down in the red zone well blocked Great read by Luke. Nick Muse boxed his guy in and gave Luke room to the sideline. All of a sudden, here's two Georgia defenders. This is a first down, right? But against most teams, um, and maybe even Kentucky, you know, you get more on that play. So that's the part. I think that's the part where Shane Beamer's talking about some positive things to take away. I think it's when you look at that, most teams aren't going to have the personnel and the ability to make this special play. This is just going to make you look totally wrong on the field. And if they can take those things and carry them forward, maybe we'll see some increased offensive output, and we know they need that. Yeah, I think that was uh, – that Luke play you're talking about, looked it looked to be designed exactly the same way the Zeb play was on the first play of the game, where it was a, it was a zone read, but you have your tight end um, actually blocking for the quarterback. So it's sort of uh, – as a lead blocker for the quarterback. So it's kind of a designed, I feel like, court, uh, zone read where you're, you're hoping to, to get the ball to your, your quarterback in space. And that, that's one of those plays when I said that, um, you know, I, I feel like Luke's speed will play up against most defensive opponents, whereas maybe it doesn't facing Georgia because nobody's really does unless you're like Lamar Jackson or something. Uh, that That's a play where 
you have the edge over there against most teams, but against Georgia, you get because they they got the edge on both of those plays. You get the edge, and then three dudes just come flying in at you out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I I texted you at, while I was watching the game on Sunday, and I was like, dude, Georgia looks like they have twelve guys on the field, and I think you were like, shoot, I thought it was sixteen or something like that. It's just people people coming from everywhere, and if if you can, God, if you can play two high safeties. And still stop the run, um, which yeah. I, I mean that that's that's insane, and I that's that's something I I think if we really want to get in the weeds this week and and talk about um, you know South, South Carolina defensively, I'm curious to see how do you take away Wandale Robinson because this kid is uh, is special and he's added a new dimension to Kentucky's offense that I, I think makes them very difficult to defend. And here now to talk um, a little bit more about that with us and give us some extra insight is CatsIllustrated.com's Jeff Drummond. Jeff, we appreciate you taking the time. How's it going today, man? Hey, guys. Doing pretty good. How about you? We're, we're great. Uh, getting ready for this matchup. Um, it's always an interesting one. And uh, so we, we've sort of been watching some Kentucky this week, trying to get a new feel for – or a feel for this new offense. Um, now that you've seen – three games of it now that you've heard you know it be talked about all off season what have your impressions been of what Liam Cohen is trying to do with this Kentucky offense Jeff well it's been really impressive to me to see what he's been able to accomplish so early I think the hopes that Kentucky fans had was that a passing game would kind of emerge gradually as the season went along and that we would see some signs of that maybe by the middle of the year uh, really paying off but I don't think anyone ever imagined that they would come out of the gates, you know, firing quite as well as they have in the passing game after spending like the last two or three years not having much of any passing threat whatsoever. You know, it's talk about going, you know, zero to sixty in a in in a short amount of time. That's what they've done with this offense. Jeff, I want to zoom out before we get even more into this game. You you've covered the program there in Kentucky for quite a while, as long as I can remember, certainly. And, you know, I'm sure you can think back to the beginning of the Mark Stoops era. And we were talking about this, Wes and I, earlier on the show. Somebody pointed out to me recently that that Stoops and Joker Phillips had basically the same record. You know, Stoops had through three seasons, the first three seasons in, in Lexington. Joker Phillips kind of went backwards with his year three being two and ten. But Take us back to the thought process like year three, after year three, year four, some of those rougher times for Stoops and the administration there, the decision to stick with them, and then just the progression of the program and, and just kind of look back at that for us. Well, it's it's really a testament for Mitch Barnhart, first of all, because there was an extreme amount of pressure in, in that third year, third year going into the fourth year, um, that, that maybe they weren't going the right direction, weren't getting the kind of a win-loss type production that the fans had had hoped for. And there was a, a pretty large segment of this fan base that said, you know, Stoops just isn't going to be able to do this. But he hung in there, talking about Mitch Barnhart, uh, gave him a chance to recruit and develop and get his uh, guys in place. And it's paid off big time, you know, five straight bowl games, three straight bowl wins, uh, they've put themselves, you know, in top 25 contention uh, pretty consistently in the last two or three years. They've been, you know, if not in there, receiving votes or being in there at the end of the season. Uh, so it, it's just a deal. This Like when you watch college sports these days, you don't see many programs giving coaches a full three or four years to get it done. It's, it's kind of that microwave society uh, type of thinking in a lot of cases where you have to win and you have to win right away. But Mitch Barnhart gave Mark Stoops a chance to build the type of program that he envisioned. And it's really paid off. Jeff. So um, these transfers in for Kentucky this year, man, I mean, uh, you look at uh, Jack West Jones on, on the defensive side, but obviously uh, Will Levis at quarterback, Wondell Robinson at receiver. Um, to me, they, they sort of changed the equation for, for Kentucky in, in a lot of ways. Uh, Maybe give us your your scouting report of uh, of Will Levis. What have you seen from him? Uh, what areas has he been really good in? I know he can. He's got a big arm. It seems to me like he's sort of unlocked 
that vertical passing game for Kentucky that maybe wasn't there, uh, the, the Kentucky teams that we've seen in the past. But you see them every week. You see them every game. Uh, what have, have those guys uh, specifically there at quarterback brought to uh, Kentucky so far this year, man? That vertical threat is is definitely a big part of it, and that's the, the piece of the passing game that he's most comfortable with. He likes to let it loose, and he's got a huge, huge arm. I mean, he's a big, physical, imposing guy uh, when you're up next to him, and he's got probably the best arm we've seen around here since uh, Jared Lorenzen, which it would be hard to, to match the hefty lefty, you know, rest his soul, but he had the, the biggest arm I've, I've ever seen at that position. Uh, but, you know, the threat of being able to stretch the field has done a lot of things for Kentucky. I still don't think it's it's quite paid off completely. Um, they're just kind of scratching the surface on that because you would think with the ability to to make people worried about that, that they'd have even more success in the, in the rushing game uh, so far. And that's been a little bit hit and miss so far. They're, they've changed to a new kind of blocking scheme uh, this season, still kind of getting used to that. The backs are adjusting to it, but Will Levis enables them in theory to do a lot of things moving forward that they, they just haven't done in years and years and years. Um, you know, can't say enough good things about him right now. He's had some bad luck on a couple of the interceptions uh, where sometimes he needs to take a little bit off the ball. You know, he, he's, he's really zipping it in there and he's had two or three of them go off receivers hands and into defenders arms for interceptions but uh, made pretty good decisions. Uh, for the most part, I haven't seen a lot of throws where I've just went, ooh, wish he had that one back. Um, and just a general presence to him. There's, there's a real leadership and confident assuredness uh, to him that has rubbed off on all the other guys on that offensive unit and, and made them believe uh, that they can do some pretty big things this year. So, Jeff, we, we've – gotten a lot into Kentucky's offense and, you know, like you broke down, the vertical play threat, the new scheme, the quarterback, of course. But we know that last week, and I know Mark Stoops had some reservations or not some reservations, some complaints offensively and defensively against Chattanooga. What what have been the maybe struggle areas or the inconsistent areas that you've seen from Kentucky so far this season, any phase of the game? What kind of went wrong against Chattanooga? And what, what have been the areas that South Carolina could take advantage of based on what you've seen this year? Well, there's there's two big ones so far. Offensively, they put the ball on the ground a lot. And that's just kind of carelessness. And they say they've addressed that and it's going to, you know, be better moving forward. Uh, but, uh, you know, you look at a game like the Missouri game where they won by seven. That game should have been 45 to 20, 45 to 21-ish. And, and Kentucky just shot themselves in the foot all night long and, and, and kind of allowed Missouri to hang around long enough to where they really had confidence to make that a, a tight game at the end. They needed the defensive stand to, to hold on for the win. Um, but you look at that on offense, you, you flip it to the defense, and the defense has not really been able to generate a lot of pressure on quarterbacks in their defense the, the kind of offensive schemes they've been facing haven't really allowed that either. It's been a lot of dink and dunk, you know, getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quick the last two weeks. And that's been frustrating for these guys because they really thought they were going to have a, a much better pass rushing team uh, this season and get the quarterback on the ground. They've, they've caused some problems in terms of pressure and, and, and forcing some bad throws, but they just haven't been able to, to, to sack the guy. And I think that's going to, be a big factor in this one coming up. I think South Carolina is a little bit more traditional offensively than what they've seen the last two weeks. So it's, it's a good measuring stick for Kentucky to see if they can, you know, get the guy on the ground. Yeah. And certainly Jeff, uh, South Carolina has struggled in pass protection uh, really at times, all three games. And I think that's, that's been a big topic of discussion here is can South Carolina clean up some of the communication issues they have had, um, you know, the first two opponents just sort of blitzed them to death and, and were able to kind of expose some things. Georgia is like Georgia. They're amazing up front. But um, is this Kentucky sort of defense kind of – I mean, I when I think of Stoops and think of his defenses, I think long and lean and athletic in the secondary. Maybe they're going to play a little more zone than most teams. They're going to make you go the length of the field. And um, 
then they're going to sort of pick their spots to, to blitz. And it's not like they're going to just blitz you to death, but when they do blitz, it's kind of like they probably have a feel of what you're going to do and they're taking it away. It, does it sort of fit the same thing, the MO that we normally think of with these Stoops defenses? Yeah, you nailed it. His whole theory in general, and it's been successful here during his whole stay, is to make the opponent go 80 yards in 10 or 12 plays. And somewhere in that span, there's going to be a mistake because, you know, they're, they're college kids. They're not pros. Somebody's going to screw up. And, and typically that's worked out really well for them. And you're right. Um, they pick their spots, you know, to bring that pressure and, and, and the blitz. They haven't really done it a whole lot this year. Maybe they're holding back some of it. Uh, not really sure about that. But, um, you know, this is a week where, where I think you could see more of that simply because of the threats that, you know, South Carolina has a wide receiver too. They've, they've spoken all week long about um, how much respect they have for those guys on the outside and their ability to stretch the field and, and make plays down the field. So I think that's a, a great matchup to watch uh, going into this one. Jeff, we know some of the, you know, key players for Kentucky. You mentioned the transfers, Jock West Jones at linebacker. Who are some of the guys that maybe Gamecock fans might not be as familiar with that have played key roles any phase of the game for this Kentucky team that are going to have, you know, a significant say in the outcome one way or another on, on Saturday? Well, Josh Pascal is, is one of them, a tremendous story, a kid who beat cancer and has come back to play at a really high level. Doesn't really get the the notoriety across the SEC that, that we probably think he should uh, up here, but a tremendous motor and a, a really good presence there on the defensive line, uh, kind of the leader of that unit as a whole. Um, another guy up in, in the front seven is J.J. Weaver, who, you know, toward ACL, at the end of last season, somewhere, um, don't remember the exact date, but it was November, and he's already back and has played in in every game at a high, pretty high level uh, so far. So it's a, a testament to what those guys in the uh, medical field can do now with guys that have ACL. That used to be a deal. I remember back in the old days, uh, you could count that guy out for a year, maybe a year and a half, but they're they're doing amazing things there. And and then finally on the back end. Uh, you have Yusuf Corker at, at safety, who's a, a really solid tackler, uh, big-time hitter, and uh, has a ton of experience playing in the back of UK's defense. Uh, I, I would kind of circle him and say kind of watch him in the South Carolina matchup because of the versatility of the Gamecocks and, and the way they can hurt you in, 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 in both the ground game and the passing game. Yeah, Corker, a guy South Carolina fans may be familiar with. I remember uh, interviewing him a couple of times, South Carolina recruiting him. Um, fi- finally here, finally, I guess for me here, Jeff, uh, w- what are the matchups that you're looking at in particular? Um, you know, we before you came on, we were just bragging about uh, Wondell Robinson and, and the just multiple ways this guy can hurt you. And I said, man, South Carolina's got to find a way to, to limit that guy because – Kentucky just seems to find ways to get him the ball in space. Um, maybe what can you tell me about that thought and then your thoughts on uh, sort of some key matchups in this thing? Yeah, that's that's a good one to watch with Wandale. He's he's the first guy in, in Kentucky program history to have 100 yards receiving in each of the first three games he played. So that's been a, a pretty huge thing. You know, there were games Kentucky played the last couple seasons where they didn't have 100 yards receiving in, in a game as a team. Uh, so to see one guy do it is is pretty fun. I'll be interested to see with the attention that he receives, kind of how the Gamecocks approach the other weapons that that Kentucky has. If you put too much attention on Wandale, they've got Josh Ali on the other side, who's a, a very capable uh, wide receiver, a guy who who could be the star on on some other teams. Uh, but Wandale's kind of outshone him early in the season, and, and Kentucky has slowly been working in the tight ends. Um, as we move along. And I have a feeling that they may be a bigger part of, of the game plan this week. So I would, I would kind of watch that chess match to see what South Carolina does with the, the backers and the safeties against uh, Kentucky's tight ends. They're, they're pretty talented at that position. Jeff, uh, last one for me, man, and we appreciate your time. So kind of a two-parter here for you. Uh, South Carolina's hung its hat a little bit on some special teams plays early in this season where, you know, Pete Limbo, their new coordinator, he's clearly schemed some things up and helped make some things happen that have 
had a legitimate effect on some games. Anything to know about Kentucky special teams? Has it been – is there anything special to talk about there from a personnel or scheme standpoint? And then secondly, Kentucky wins this game if what happens. Kentucky loses this game if what happens. So a two, a two or three-parter there, depending on how you look at it. I would say the special teams have been kind of um, almost boring <laughs> to an extent for Kentucky so far. Maybe that's a good thing because if you're talking about the special teams too much, a lot of times that could be a, a bad deal. Um, one of the things they've they've had a talking point recently is uh, using Wandale Robinson on punt returns too because they feel like he's a big play waiting to happen anytime they get the ball in his hands. But he just hasn't really made a, a real smooth – adjustment to that they've lost a lot of those so-called hidden yards in, in the punt game where he's let a few drop and and, and roll um, so that's something to watch I, I think they could make a switch there um, Josh Ali is a guy who's done that before so he might be back there the punting game they their starting punter that they went into the season with has has a little bit of a, a back I don't know if you'd call it an injury but his back's been kind of aggravating him a little bit they went to the uh, backup guy last week. He averaged 50 yards a punt, so that that worked out really well. And their kicking game in the field goal department is not overwhelming, but I would call it consistent and re- reliable, you know, as long as it's inside of 40. Once you get outside of 40, it's a little bit more of a question mark. But uh, Kentucky's been pretty good about finishing drives and not, uh, you know, stalling out at that distance and having to rely on a lot of long kicks. Yeah. On your final point, I, I forgot about that. The, well, well, Chris did give you five questions there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the big if, I, I think I think Kentucky, if it can establish the line of scrimmage with its offensive line, one of the better offensive lines in the country, and, and control the ball and make this kind of a boring game, I, I think they stand a pretty good chance in, in this one. And on the flip side of it, South Carolina, if they can get out to some early momentum and kind of put that pressure on Kentucky early, maybe jump out by a couple of scores with the way that place gets and, you know, the the intensity and noise. That's been a big talking point up around here, the respect the Kentucky players and coaches have for it. A lot of them have called it the best place that they've played in, uh, some of the veterans, uh, you know, one of the loudest in the league. I think if South Carolina gets momentum early, it could be difficult for Kentucky. Jeff, uh, great insight as always, man. I, I know you're busy. We appreciate the time, so we appreciate you making the time. Um, enjoy the game on Saturday. As always, it should be a pretty interesting one. So uh, y'all enjoy it, man. We'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. That's Jeff Drummond. If y'all want to read the uh, Kentucky uh, sort of uh, view of everything, head on over to catsillustrated.com. Uh, Jeff and then, of course, uh, our buddy Justin Rowland do an outstanding job covering Kentucky. And um, obviously, if you're joining us here late, you can always go back and watch that interview on our YouTube page. That's youtube.com slash Gamecock Central. And um, Chris, yeah, I think uh, to his point, uh, boring special teams, probably most coaches will take that. Like, I feel like boring special teams, probably a good thing. Um, You know, South Carolina, obviously wants to be difference makers in special teams. That's something that's always going to be a priority, I think, for Pete Limbo and Shane Beamer. But most coaches will probably take boring in special teams. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up with him, though. That is one area. And, we, you know, we mentioned PFF on here from time to time. Every single time I say it, I also give that caveat, like, you know, they don't always mean everything. And we're three games into the season. So it's kind of, you know, you're still figuring things out. But I will say this, PFF, very high on South Carolina special teams. Not very high on what Kentucky special teams have done so far. Now, that's a very broad thing. You know, special teams, you're talking about so many different aspects. Um, But not every team has a true dedicated special teams coordinator to try and find advantages so to me man you you start talking about that that thing we were talking about earlier if they play 10 games um to me your equalizers and stuff like that is always going to be turnovers or can you make a play in a non-standard situation 
And for me, non-standard situation is a blocked punt, um, a punt return or kickoff return for touchdown, uh, forcing a turnover on kickoff or punt coverage, stuff like that. So to me, and this is a very broad view based entirely on a number from PFF, but every week I think we're going to have this little conversation. Can South Carolina find an advantage in special teams this week? Because this is a game that it could truly matter. Absolutely. And when, when we talk about games where it's, it's you know, could be fairly even or maybe one team has a, a slighter advantage, um, you know, that's an area that you can look at. And, and he made a good point, uh, Jeff did, that, hey, Kentucky, while they've been boring, they've had Wondell Robinson, who's been very good for them offensively, you know, maybe due to some inexperience or just not quite settling in, has, you know, let some punts go, missed out on some of those hidden yards. So, you definitely want it to be boring in the sense of, you know, if the other team is fair catching a kickoff, if they're fair catching a punt, fantastic, right? Because then there's not much there's not much to talk about, and that's great. Um, if you're causing big plays, if you're causing fumbles, if you're, you know, great in the return game yourself, if you're doing things like the Juju McDowell kickoff return or you're blocking punts, that's the type of exciting you want, right? Kentucky West – uh, as we know, South Carolina has dedicated special teams coordinator with Pete Limbo. Kentucky, just trying to look at their staff responsibilities, John Settle, who's their running backs coach, is the co-special teams coordinator. Interesting thing is they don't have another co-special teams coordinator, so I don't know who he's co-ing with, but uh, maybe it's uh, – you know, now every staff is going to have on special teams – they're going to split some duties, right? So, for example, Pete Limbo has one coach uh, coach his punt returners. He has one coach coach his kick returners. You, you have to, because of the nature of special teams, you have to split that up in terms of practice time. But Pete Limbo is still the special teams coach. So I don't know if they kind of just Johnny Hole staff it and John Settle just kind of has that as a title. If so, I don't know why it's co instead of just special teams coordinator, but that is an area that I think will be worth watching, especially with the emphasis South Carolina has put on it this year. Yeah, may, maybe regular special teams coordinators get paid more than co-coordinators. So you give them the – it's like we're going to give you the title, but we're not going to give you the full title because we're not going to pay you that big. <laughs> Joey Guyton asked that I laugh at Ty's Corker comment during the interview. Absolutely yes. So if you don't know what we're talking about, you're watching or listening on another platform – you're just going to have to go to YouTube and see what he said. But, uh, yes, I 100% did. I busted. Uh, you, you got me. But, so, Chris, before we had Jeff on, and, uh, by the way, I would encourage everybody, Cats Illustrated, they do a great job of, of giving yeah. you – I've I've actually – I've been reading their site a lot this week, trying to get insight on, on what they think of the game from that side. And um, Jeff obviously gave us a lot of that now. But, I, dude – what I was about to talk about before he hopped on, to me, when you look at uh, Wondell, this is a kid that how South Carolina, how successful South Carolina can be in keeping him down, um, probably in my opinion will be one of the top five biggest keys of this game. And I was about to sort of turn it into a defensive philosophy, defensive coverage um, conversation because we were talking about Georgia being able to play two high safeties. Well, to me, in a perfect world, if you had if you had Georgia's defense, Georgia's players, I'd I'd be playing too high against Kentucky and making them prove they can run the football. Um, because I, I'd be taking that vertical threat away. And I'd be playing with man coverage underneath because if you just say we're gonna play coverage over the top and play zone, Kentucky is very good. At getting the ball out fast, like that—that's sort of what they do. Like it's going to be a diverse running game, lots of under center, um, you know, inside zone, outside zone, toss plays, fly sweeps to receivers. Very versatile in what they do. Well, passing game wise, a lot of it is going to be either if you're if you're backed off, if you're in zone, it's going to be like stick concepts. That's where the receiver just runs out, finds a spot in the zone, turns around, and Levis very quick release, man. This is kind of what Jeff was talking about. Sometimes he honest, honestly puts a little too much heat on it. Um, he He's sort of one of these guys, you know how, Chris, people talk about accuracy. 
um, with quarterbacks, to me, that can mean multiple things. Are you just missing completely, you know, or are we talking more like you're, you're, you're missing that perfect spot on a guy to me, most of the time, Will Levis gets the ball to his receivers. Like it's in that box, but it's not in that perfect area. And what it leads to, what happens when a receiver has to reach back, reach over his head, reach to a different position, you get balls that get tipped up in the air sometimes because it's coming hot and it's not perfect. So on their underneath stuff, that's an issue he has. But point being, if you just say we're going to drop back in zone, they're going to hit you with the quick stuff. If you say we're going to bring guys up, they're going to hit you over the top. If you play cover two man with two safeties deep, that's when their quarterback run game becomes an issue because he actually can be a numbers advantage to your offense. He can run the football. So to me, here the safety, if you're in single high safety, safety is always going to have to be to uh, Wondell Robinson's side. So to me, what he's talking about, Josh Ali, who's number six for them. If you start seeing number six have a big game, that means bad things are happening for South Carolina. Because if you take away one and six starts making plays, it really puts you at a numbers disadvantage and that you don't exactly know how to slow these guys down. If you can play too high with man on the outside and still get away with it and stop the run, then, then you're golden. I don't know if you can do that against these guys. So then – it, if, if you don't have coverage answers, it becomes a pass rush thing in that you absolutely have to find a way, whether it's with four, five, or just bringing six, you have to find a way to get to this quarterback. So that's the – we talked about the cat and mouse game with Satterfield versus Stoops. To me, that's the cat and mouse game for South Carolina's, you know, defensive staff, Clayton White versus – Liam Cohen and Kentucky's offensive staff. And Wes, before I, you know, respond to your point, you made some great points. Speaking of, you know, good coverage, Dead Soxie. Cover your team <laughs> with something good. We're partnered up with Dead Soxie in the 2021 season. Coverage answers was the phrase that you used. This is a great answer to needing to cover. Cover your feet with Dead Soxie. D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y dot com. Whether it's the college line with the Spurs socks, athletics, men's, women's, no shows, all yes, buttery soft feel, all high quality, awesome socks, and you can get twenty five percent off with the promo code cocky. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> was that a good one? It was so bad that it was good. I, I agree. That that's what made it good. Uh, that was quite enjoyable. Coverage answers. Dead Soxy, the ultimate coverage answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dude, that that threw me all off. Now, like I had, I had all. You know how you sometimes you have all these like points. Yeah, and then they just disappear. And and yeah, and they disappear. That's exactly what happened. Travis, Travis, I'll give you a chance to think about it. Travis liked your your segue, and Ty Ty always loves the uh, huge huge advocate. I think my theory, honestly, Ty, it's it's not even subtle. I know you want an endorsement deal with Dead Soxy. We yes. know you do. I'll try to work on it for you. Keep keep after it. Keep at it. Order a few more pairs, and and then they're going to be going through their books. God, this Ty Adams is ordering lots of Dead Soxy. Maybe we need to send them some more for free. Jamie I- says your transition was buttery smooth. Thank you. Um, Erlen says it was smooth as well. Any anyway, all right? Do you, do you have some? Do you have some actual thoughts? I got you. I have some actual football thoughts. So there was a lot of talk last week after the Georgia game um, about like off coverage, right? And it was an issue for South Carolina in that contest. There was one play in particular. It's the one that's kind of the standard that came to my mind. And it was a third and five or six. And the slot receiver, Kiaris Jackson for Georgia, he basically got a free release at the line. He ran to the sticks. There's the exact type of route you're talking about with Kentucky, West. He runs a yard past the sticks, so probably six or seven-yard route, turns around, JT Daniels throws him the ball. I mean, it was about as easy as it gets. And when you kind of looked at the coverage, I broke this one down with Sherrod Golightly, he talked more about, you know, he wasn't sure because obviously he wasn't in the huddle, didn't hear the defensive call, 
but maybe they were trying to disguise zone. There was something in there, but the nickel was about 10 yards off. And so that becomes a pitch and catch. You're not, you're not challenging. Now on the flip side, Wes, the two, two of, of Georgia's long touchdowns that I can think of, uh, South Carolina was playing off coverage and, and they still ran by, right? So, so the solution is not always get up there and press them. You know, that's not always the solution. It, it, there is some situational play to it. When you think about a guy like Wondell Robinson who can stretch the field, if you don't press him, you might be in a lot of trouble, you know, if, he, if you don't get the jam. So I think that the bigger takeaway from the Georgia game in terms of technique and all these things is because um, South Carolina does disguise. They do a pretty good job with that with Clayton White. Just better situational awareness, knowing that when you're in third and five, third and six, that's, that can be a tough defensive down because there's still a lot of different things the offense can do with that down and distance. You know, just making sure that you're not letting guys run to the sticks and turn around because Kentucky has a quarterback, just like JT Daniels for Georgia was a quarterback, you know, that can make you pay for those things. So you you mentioned it earlier. Um Getting to Kentucky's quarterback, Will Levis, is going to be critical. I totally agree. You, you need to give them some long down and distances. You don't need to let him play pitch and catch. And we know that he'll throw the deep ball. So get to him quickly. Don't give those routes time to develop. Easier said than done, but it's nonetheless a key. Yeah, definitely. And I'll, I'll be curious to see how they play it. Um, do you even tinker with um, play, playing a guy like Cam Smith in, at the nickel spot? You know, that's something um, – you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I just, I, to me, I think you always look, take, what do you have to do to take away the first option for an opponent? That, that to me is the first step if I'm a defensive coordinator. So are you going to bracket that guy? The problem with starting to bracket people is that you're taking somebody away from somewhere else. So you're, uh, you're sort of, um, what is it? You're robbing Peter to play, to pay Paul. I mean, if you, if you bracket a guy, maybe that opens up the QB run game. Uh, that's one less guy that can be rushing the passer. So I'll be very curious to see, A, what Kentucky does to try and uh, get the football to their guys, and B, what South Carolina does to try to take that away. So interesting cat and mouse game there. Um, All right, y'all, that will do it for the Thursday episode of the show. Appreciate Jeff Drummond for joining us. If you missed that interview, uh, you can go back again on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Gamecock Central. Check it out in its entirety. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow for the final show of the week, and then we'll get ready for a uh, big-time matchup, South Carolina versus Kentucky. A true swing game, if you ask me. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about recruiting tomorrow a little bit more, a little bit more in depth on that as well, because, Chris, this season so far, on paper – any reasonable person would have had South Carolina at two and one, I think, coming into this game. They're sitting right where you would have them. The first sort of coin flip, who knows type game is upon us in a couple of days. So we'll be talking about what this game could mean for South Carolina. Ty wants to know where we're tailgating at. By the way, if you're a Gamecock Central subscriber, which all of you should be, our fearless leader, Brian Shoemaker, actually is having a tailgate. At, you can't say where it is. At you have to go to GamecockCentral.com to figure out exactly where. So if you want to come out um, and talk to Chris and me, um, then go on Gamecock Central. Go on the Insiders Forum. All you got to do is go to join.gamecockcentral.com. The information is there. It is at your disposal. How was that, Chris? That was pretty good, man. I was worried you were going to give it away. I got to be honest. I need to have more trust. And then I thought you were leaving me on the on the tailgate island and not and not joining me. But I'm glad to know you'll be there. I feel good about it now. And, wow, Ty uh, is not a subscriber. That hurts my feelings. See how many how many of, of of these people out here are like that? They're, they're pretending to be subscribers, and then we just kind of have to shake them down and say, "Are you subscribed?" No, I'm not. Just real sheepish. Yeah, I'm joining Ty. Ty, join.gamecockcentral.com. Promise you, um, best $9.99 per month that that you'll spend. All right, y'all. Appreciate it, as always. Um, We'll see y'all Friday, and we'll see some of you at the tailgate on Saturday. See y'all.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumboCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.